0: How are we doing today church, real good? Yeah, awesome. Thank you to our wonderful musicians. Um, They'll be awesome. So I just wanna say a quick thank you to everybody who was praying for us last week because um, yeah, I did get COVID. So um, I was really annoyed about it because I was kind of hoping that I wouldn't and I you know I wanted to kind of be one of those people yeah no I never got it but then I did Um, and currently both Craig and Seth have managed to avoid it completely. Um, Seth says it's because God loves him which he then infers that God doesn't love me because I got it Um, and Craig because it's just because he you know he's a superhuman and he's super immune so yeah you know what it's like living in a house with two males who are like that. So, yeah, Maddie and I, we unfortunately, yeah, so um, I keep telling Madison she gave it to me. (laughs) I don't know, baby. It's all right. Um, So, yeah, I just want to thank you guys for praying. We really appreciated that. Um, So I wanted to kind of quickly sort of, this is going to be another, oh, no, that's right. I had one more apology I need to make. So... Every time somebody would say that they had COVID brain and their brain was all foggy, I would like literally roll my eyes. (laughs) And I have now realized that I am wrong. And so I apologize for anyone who told me they had that and I was not sympathetic and I was kind of like, whatever. So yeah, I actually understand. Um, I will be honest, I struggled to get my message in a logical order for this week because I was literally struggling to get my mind to kind of keep going. Um, So that was not pleasant. I felt like I'd gone back to um, having baby brain. You know, mums, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what it felt like, right? Yeah, and that was not fun in that time either. So So today's message is again gonna be more of a lecture, and I apologize for that, because I know that's not a fun way to do church. And if you are a visitor, or if you're new to the church, I promise this is not how we normally do our services. They're not all deep and heavy, you know. And I get that this particular series has been quite heavy, and this week being the third week is another week where it's going to be heavy. But hang in there, because next week, you are going to love next week. Next week, we're gonna talk about the victorious church. And it will excite you and you will just come away just like, yes, this is awesome. Um, so just, just hang in there and I promise that next week it will be much more lighter. So once again though, if you haven't heard all the messages, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to them. You can't get the, the full teaching if you haven't heard all of the messages, right? You can come in and get a little bit confused. So, so today we're going to talk about the rapture and the millennium right, had an interesting conversation with Madison when I said to her, what do you know about the rapture? And she goes, well, I know that at some stage that, you know, God's going to remove the church and we're going to get raptured. I said, okay. I said, what do you know about the millennium? And she goes, I don't. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh. okay, so millennium's like a thousand years. I said, it's about the thousand year reign of Jesus. And she goes, yeah, no, I don't know anything about that. Great. So I kind of figured she was kind of my um, you know, uh, understanding of basically where I think most people are at, right? And and maybe one of the things that you've realized and one of the things I've realized with conversations with people is that a lot of us actually didn't really know what we believed about the end times, right? Because we'd heard stuff. We'd heard about rapture, so we think that's what's going to happen. And we'd heard about, you know, uh, the tribulation. We think that was what's going to happen. But most of us, if the, the feeling I got was that most of us actually hadn't looked into it ourselves, right? Would that That's fair? Yeah, and so hopefully this is answering some of your questions the purpose of this whole series was to stop people from being afraid because the one thing that happened over COVID is the amount of um, you know YouTube preachers who got up and started preaching all this end time stuff that was really faulty and really wrong and the amount of people who were sending it to me was why Craig and I sat and said actually we need to do this because there's a, a lack of understanding and we do not want our people to have a lack of understanding so we're going to talk about, it. I tried to break it up so we could talk about the rapture and we can talk about the millennium, but I can't, I can't, we have to kind of talk about them together. So for some of you, this information will be a little bit of repetitive and I apologize for that, but I need to make sure that everybody else understands. So we discussed it in the first week around the, the dispensationist view, which is probably the, the predominant view in our world today, particularly in Pentecostal circles, right? And this view originated through a happy chance meeting of a Bible teacher who was looking for justification for his views on Israel, and it came about that he met this lady who had this charismatic um, vision in Scotland in 1830. Her name was Margaret MacDonald, right? And she said, she had this vision that Christ was going to secretly come back and um, and remove his church, right? So John Nelson Darby, he was in the process. He had this view, right, that God had two covenants. He had A covenant with the Jewish people, and he had a covenant with with Christians. Problem is, is that God needs to deal with these two covenants separately in His belief, right? So there were different dispensations of history that each one had to be dealt with separately. Darby believed that God was sent to a uh, (sighs) Darby believed that God sent Christ to establish a literal earthly kingdom. And that the foundation of this kingdom was laid out for us in the four gospels which was directed to the jews and not to the church so he believed that you know matthew mark luke and john was written to the jews and not to the church when the jews crucified christ instead of crowning him god had to come up with plan b which was the cross the resurrection and the creation of the church The New Testament, Darby believes, was that partway through Acts, halfway through Acts onward, that's that's for the church, but anything prior to that in the New Testament was not. The church, however, is actually really only an afterthought in the purposes of God, because God actually only wants to deal with the Jewish people. Now, Darby himself was puzzling over how do we remove the church from the equation so that God could revert back to his original plan A, as outlined in the gospels, when he struck gold with uh, Margaret MacDonald's vision. The vision supplied something that the Bible did not, which is the concept of the rapture. Christ would return secretly, take the church out of the world, so that God could then fulfill his original plan to have Christ rule over the Jewish nation from Jerusalem for a millennium, a millennium being a thousand years, for a literal thousand years. And in that time, the whole system of temple sacrifice Um, existing at the time of Jesus, would then be restored back. Right. So according to dispensationalism, this is quite a complicated scenario. Firstly, it means that Christ had to secretly return and rapture the the church to heaven. This idea is based on a couple of doubtful interpretations that are found in the New Testament, in Thessalonians and in Matthew. I, I will talk about those and explain those scriptures to you a bit later on. Dispensations themselves will even admit that the rapture is not talked about at all in the book of Revelation. It's not there. You can search it, you can read it in multiple different um, you know, uh, versions, you will not find it. What they do believe though, they presume, is that the rapture's gonna happen before all the visions happen in chapter four also not mentioned in Revelation or anywhere else in the New Testament but uh, presumed to occur is the restoration of ethnic Israel to the promised land and the resumption of the Old Testament sacrifices in a rebuilt temple at the initiation of a personal of the personal Antichrist after this follows a seven-year period of tribulation halfway through which the Antichrist will betray the Jews this period of time again is not actually referred to in Revelation it's based on the 70 weeks of Daniel which we already talked about back in week one the supposed time of tribulation, as described in the visions, is starting in chapter 4 and ends further, and this time with a public return of Jesus in chapter 19. At that time, Christ will defeat the beast and the false prophet and inaugurate a thousand year reign on earth based in Jerusalem. The temple, and subsequently which is subsequently described by the Antichrist, is rebuilt and the sacrificial system, complete with priests and Levites and Bloody sacrifices is reinstituted, and then after that, in chapter 20, Satan's going to be bound. The previously raptured saints, having experienced the first resurrection, will dwell in their new Jerusalem, which hovers above the earth, but sometimes they'll visit the earth in their immortal bodies. Satan is bound, but nevertheless, the children of saved believers will rebel, and so the period ends with a final battle against the devil and his forces. The lost among the mortal humans will constitute the armies fighting against Christ in battle. That is, in a nutshell, the belief of dispensationalism. So when you subscribe to some of these beliefs, that is the fullness of what you believe. Now, there are many problems with this. We discussed a bunch of them in, in our week one. So just a brief summary. There is no biblical evidence of any secret rapture in the church or for, for Christ to return twice. There is no evidence to support the contention that the visions through chapter four all the way through to 19 concern the nation of Israel because that's what, what dispensations believe. All of that stuff's only gonna happen to Israel. There is no evidence anywhere in the New Testament that God would restart the sacrificial system because he once and for all abolished it through the sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews ten nine says, he does away with the first to establish the second. So he did away with the sacrifices in the temple so that he could establish Jesus as our lasting sacrifice. Now the church has taken out of the place, has taken uh, the church has actually taken the place of Israel as God's covenant people. Revelation teaches this consistently the whole way through. The tribulation is a term that describes the entire church age, not just a very small window of time. And the millennium is best understood from the context of revelation as a figurative expression referring to the church age not a literal period of time remember I talked about how numbers and prophecy are symbolic so if it says a thousand years and it's not going to be a thousand years it's symbolic so let's talk about these two verses that people say because some of you if you know this stuff you'll be sitting here saying oh but what about the verse it says in the twinkling of an eye and blah 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 we're going to talk about that right 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 15 to 17 For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So, this is one of the main verses that people use to say that there will be a rapture. Dispensationalists base this because it says the word "appearing" or "coming," right in verse 15, when it says, um, "And uh, and we who are alive will remain until the coming of the Lord." That word "coming" in the Greek is actually parousa. Now, I'm, forgive me if you are a Greek scholar, and I'm probably pronouncing this really badly, um, so I apologize for that. So this word refers to the coming of an emperor or to another ruler to visit his territories. The citizens of the city would parade out to meet him coming and then they would escort him back into the city to take up his reign. I was thinking about this and if you've ever had the privilege to go to a marae, you go to a marae and they held a pōwhiri. What I love about this is you're there, they come out, the, the, whole, the whole whānau of, of that marae comes out to greet you. And then you go through, you have the, uh, the karakia, and you have, the, you have prayers, you have speeches, you have conversation, you have a meeting, and then they gather you, and they take you in to the marae. You cannot enter the marae if you've never been through a porphyry. you You're not allowed to do it. That's a, that is what this is referring to. That coming is the town will go to meet the ruler, to then bring him into the city. That is actually what that word means. This is the opposite of having the emperor come and take the citizens away to some other place. Why would the emperor or the ruler come to the city to take people away and desert the city? It makes no sense. Paul in Thessalonians here is speaking of Christ returning to rule over the new heavens and the new earth. A similar meaning occurs in verse 17 where it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds for a meeting. That word in Greek is pantesios. That word likewise refers to citizens going out from the city to meet a visiting dignitary whom they will escort back into the city. It's not about them coming and then disappearing. It's about you going to meet because you're excited so that you can bring them back in. Does that make sense? You getting that? The second passage that they say refers to the rapture is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 38 to 41. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Christ's return will be like the days of Noah, when believers entered the ark and the wicked were swept away. On this day, one will be taken and the other will be left. See, this text actually teaches the opposite of the rapture. See, the believers were not whisked away to paradise, rather it is the lost Who are taken away for destruction and for judgment just like the unbelievers are swept away in the flood but uh, unbelievers are swept away in the flood the believers remain if you look at it in the um in the amplified bible it actually says then two men will be in the field and one will be taken away for judgment and the other left two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken for judgment and the other left (coughs) nowhere Does the Bible actually refer to multiple returns of Christ? And certainly none of them are secret. You have to remember, when Jesus came the first time, he came as a lamb. When he comes the second time, he's coming as a lion. Christ's return is going to be like the flashing of like lightning flashing from the east to the west and is visible to all the peoples of the earth. It talks about it in Matthew. Paul says the same thing. He describes Christ's return in three ways, as from heaven with his mighty angels and in flaming fire in 2 Thessalonians. Christ is going to appear visibly to the whole entire world. Matthew 24, verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also so also uh, so also will the coming of the son of man be this is what Jesus said about himself this is actually Jesus talking in verse 30 then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn for they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory there is nothing secret about Jesus coming back he is coming back and you are going to know there, these are some of the verses that actually completely refute the doctrine of the rapture because the rapture isn't in the Bible anywhere. There's nothing secret about it. There's no second return. There's no second return of Christ, which would then become visible. God does not have a plan B. What kind of God would He be if He couldn't get plan A right? Right. Think about this. What we have to understand is God's plan A. It did involve the Jewish people. It involved a man called Abraham, who God took out of Mesopotamia, out of Babylon, in fact, and created a covenant people out of him. And in the very beginning of God's plan, God made it clear that he was going to use Abraham and his descendants to reach all the nations of the world. He says to Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. All of the Old Testament prophecy carries along this line until you reach the point of Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Israel then gets expanded at the cross into an entity which also includes the Gentile people. God's plan A succeeded. It includes the Jewish people. Jesus has united the Jews and the Gentiles into one body. Throughout Ephesians and Colossians and Romans and Galatians, you can't get away from it. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The idea of the rapture is that the church will be taken out of the world prior to the visible return of Christ. Now, if you are a dispensationalist, you have to believe that Jesus will return twice, which is a problem because Jesus actually doesn't teach that. Jesus taught that his one return will be visible, entirely visible. He said it, lightning's going to flash from the east to the west. So the rapture necessitates a secret return. Incidentally, this was picked up by the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists, and they kind of teach this themselves. The idea is that once the church is taken out, that God will then go back to dealing with the Jewish people and there's a period of tribulations. Now, some people think it's seven years, some people think it's three and a half years, and that the seven-year period of tribulation does not appear anywhere in the book of Revelation. It doesn't appear anywhere in the New Testament, and we already talked about how it's a, a misunderstanding of misinterpretation of four verses in the book of Daniel, which we spoke about in week one, which I probably did a really poor job about and I apologize for. The idea of a seven year period, the Antichrist persecutes the Jews, then Jesus returns at the end of that seven years and he establishes a literal earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. Satan is bound at that time according to dispensationist teaching. The problem with that is that all of these believers appear in the millennium and rebel and the temple is rebuilt with the ark and the rest of it and all the rest of their sacrifices. Jeremiah chapter three actually says the ark will never be rebuilt. The temple will not be rebuilt. So when everyone was panicking over Saddam Hussein rebuilding the temple, it was not going to happen because God said it's not going to happen. Dispensation is struggling to have a massive problem. How do they reconcile with having to say, we're going to institute the sacrifices of Jerusalem, of the Jews, along with salvation through Christ? It's a massive problem because basically what they're saying is the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough. Then we reach the right belief to have around the millennium, Because the belief now is there is no rapture. Like there's no alternative belief. It's either you believe there was a rapture or there's not. I I, hopefully you've now realised there's no rapture, right? So then we come to the talking about the millennium. Inaugurated millennialism or amillennialism interprets the passage symbolically. Remember, numbers and prophetic texts are to be interpreted symbolically. It sees both the tribulation and the millennium as referring to the same indefinite period of time that stretches from Christ's ascension, resurrection, to his return. This period of time, as we talked about in week one, is the church age in which John lived, and in which we live, and in which believers in all these generations live, and in which the believers just before Christ's return will live. God's focus during this time is on the church, which has replaced national Israel as his covenant people. Now, he does have a promise in Romans 11 to bring a spiritual awakening to the Jewish people before the Lord's return. That, he has that same promise for everybody. This view, though, is called amillennialism. So we are a amillennialists. Craig and I are amillennialists. So which means we don't believe in a millennium. There's not going to be a only Jesus reigning on earth for a thousand years. The clue that the thousand years are to be, imbo- to be interpreted symbolically is actually found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. See, John didn't make this book something that you needed to worry about and try to decode. He was actually very clear in the book. And the verse in verse 1 reads, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John. The verb show is a Greek word called dynikimu. I have no idea if I said that right. We'll just pretend I did. It occurs seven times in Revelation, and each time it is used, it refers to a pictorial vision, which God then interprets symbolically. This meaning is confirmed by the second part of the verse, where John says, He made it known by sending His angels. The verb made known translates to the Greek word, which means to symbolize or to signify symbolically. This indicates that the book as a whole should be interpreted in that manner, including all of its numbers. We have seen throughout the book that the key to understanding the the symbolism is to be able to know your Old Testament. You understand the Old Testament allusions, you will be able to understand the symbolism that's been used. In summary, there is actually no secret return of Christ. There is one return of Christ. The tribulation is the current age in which we live. The New Testament defines, defines that as the age that we live remember we said it starts from when Jesus ascended it's not going to end until he comes back we are living in the time of tribulation but why does John call it a tribulation remember we talked about how revelation pictures the Christians repeating the exodus story our journey is pictured along the same lines as the children of Israel leaving Egypt they went into the desert for 40 years and they entered the promised land As Christians, we find salvation and then we begin this journey where we leave the dominion of darkness and we enter into this wilderness period, which is our current present age, and we live there. We are both protected by God, but we are also under spiritual attack. We are in the in between age, the age where we enter before we enter the New Jerusalem. It's a time of tribulation, but only a tribulation that leads to victory. Paul repeatedly in his letters, in fact, 31 times, he talks about the tribulation being what he is expressly going through. If we don't teach people the Christian life involves tribulation and suffering, we're preaching a false gospel. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know what you were told when you came to Christ. A lot of people have been told, come to Jesus and your whole entire life will be made better. And so we kind of have this false sense that I'm going to come to Jesus and my life will be made better. You come to Jesus and your life becomes difficult. You cannot follow Jesus without your life getting difficult. Because you know what, it's actually a lot easier to withhold forgiveness from people who hurt you. It's a lot easier to lash out at those who hurt you. It's hard when God says to you to forgive. That's really difficult. It's hard when the rest of the world is, is going in one direction and living their life in one way and God's saying to you, no, I want you to swim against the flow, I want you to go in a different direction. Being a Christian involves suffering. If you do not believe that, then, then you're, going to, you're going to find it the hard way. You know, there will be trials. We will, be su- we will have suffering. That is, that is the Christian life. I think particularly in our Western world, we get lost in the thought that God's going to protect me. And he will. But we think it means he's going to protect me physically. We think it means he's going to protect you. here on No, no, he's more so much concerned with your physical body as he is more concerned with your spiritual life. He will protect your spiritual life. You have consequences of the world that we live in and consequences of your own actions that you're going to have to live out for the rest of it. There will be suffering. And hopefully, hopefully, the readings that you've done in the Word, the teachings that you're getting here, the connect groups that you belong to, the connections you made with people in the church are going to support you while you face and deal with those sufferings. What are the specific things that are going to happen before Christ's return? You know, what? Jesus was really specific about some of this stuff. He said, quite frankly, no man knows the hour nor the day. Not even him. He didn't know. But this is a warning shot that Jesus fired, which was, don't be people who are running around looking for this and looking for that. Just be faithful. Martin Luther said, if Christ was returning tomorrow, I will plant an oak tree today. Let's just be people who are faithful to the kingdom and to do the work of God regardless. Jesus said to Be ready. You need to be ready, you need to be watchful at all times. In Revelation 11, we're met with two witnesses who represent the church, they're not actual people, like dispensationalists believe that they're going to be two people who are going to rise up, these two witnesses, they're not, they are Elijah and Moses and they represent the church and you read it, you will see that when they finish their testimony, when the church has finished its testimony, it will appear to be destroyed, in Revelation 11, you will see at the very last moment before the return of Christ, there will be a worldwide persecution against the church. And as this persecution is reaching its apex, Christ will return and usher in his internal kingdom. And obviously, that's when the judgment will take place. The only real sign that Christ is coming back will be this worldwide persecution. That's the negative. There, there are two signs that Jesus talked about. One is a negative sign for us, which is a worldwide persecution of the church will happen, right? It's going to be pretty, you know, it's going to be pretty awful we're not living in that. You may feel like you are. We may see some of the laws our government are making and think we're living in that, but we're actually not. You need to have a conversation with the underground church in Vietnam. They're living in some dangerous times. Christ said that there'll be cosmic signs. The sun and the moon and the stars will go out of order. Now, whether that happens literally or not, I don't know. That's Old Testament language, though, talking about the judgment of God coming. The positive sign that Jesus left us Is that the gospel will be preached to every people group throughout the world he says every nation and then the son of man will come the greek word nation is actually ethos which means people group not political nation we get it wrong we think we think in terms of political nation that's not what he's talking about he's talking about groups of people and once the gospel is brought to every one of those last people groups then the lord will return that's why i don't think he's going to return anytime soon in all honesty do you know that according to the World Missionary Organizations, there are currently 7,000 people groups who have yet to hear about Jesus? He ain't coming back until they've heard about it. Jesus said that the gospel will be preached to every people group before he returns. What we're seeing now in this current crisis is an example of God taking his hand off of the sinfulness of humanity. He takes his restraining hand off. And just for a moment so that we can see the idols that we have created in our own life. Our Western technology and our science have become idols in our world. And so when God takes his hand off for a moment so that we can see how foolish those idols are, how in this current season with COVID, they can't, they can't defeat this thing. They're trying, but the vaccines aren't working. The vaccines aren't able to stop the spread, right? That's the truth of the matter, right? Did God do this? Is God doing this stuff it's because he hates people? Is God doing this stuff because he's judging people? No, he's not. It's because he loves people. He's saying, look, if you don't get your life right right now, worse is coming. This is an opportunity for you to see that your idols, the things that you put your faith in, the things that you're putting your trust in, are foolish. They cannot, they cannot help you. This is an opportunity to see that you need to actually refocus and focus upon Jesus. And not only that, it's a fantastic opportunity for us as Christians to get out there. A.W. Tozer said, A frightened world needs a fearless church. And that's what we should be. Not bound up in fear, which is where dispensationalism leaves people. But we've got to be people full of faith because there's a boatload of unsaved people in our community who are in distress and are in fear and who need help. And you know what? We have the answers. The whole point of this is that I don't want us to be a church that spends our time looking at the newspaper reading the headlines and being fearful about what is happening in the world I don't want us to be a church full of people who are inward looking because all we're thinking about is if that scary stuff is happening out there then I need to protect me and I need to protect my family so we're just gonna have a little bunker and we're just gonna hide away in here that is not what God expects of us that is not what He has asked us to do he knew everything that was happening and what he has said to you is go and preach the gospel When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody about Jesus? And I don't mean street preaching. I don't mean standing up in a corner and and yelling and throwing your Bible around. When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody who was struggling about something and you said to them, actually, Jesus says this. Actually, the Bible says this. Actually, let me pray for you. Because that is what we're supposed to be doing. That is what this season is about. I thought a lot about... What is it that God is trying to teach the church through this season? I believe he is trying to teach the world that they are not as smart as they think they are, that they're idols of technology and they're idols of science. Uh, you know, and let's face it, some of our scientists, medical scientists, are playing around with stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And God's like, okay, let's see how you deal with a simple cold, right? Let's see how you deal with this flu virus. And we're not doing so well. us as christians what is god saying to us why did god allow churches to be closed for periods of time over the season what is it that god is addressing in us it's not about uh, for me personally i believe it's no more about performance it's not about how many lights we have it's not about how great our singers are or we can put on this great big production because that at the end of the day doesn't do anything for anybody did that actually help anybody through covid no what this is about is you need to assess yourself where do i stand with god How important is he in my world? Is he the center? Is Jesus at the center or am I still at the center? What am I doing when people are scared? Because people are scared in the community. Have I spoken out? Have I told them about Jesus? Have I reached out a hand to pray for people? Or am I just so bound up in fear? And I can't answer that for you. I know what it means for me. Craig and I have assessed ourselves. We know that as pastors, what we believe God is saying to us and moving forward for the church, what we believe God is saying for us. But I don't know what he's saying to you. But have you stopped and asked? Have you stopped and asked? I'm really sorry, you're not gonna be raptured out and avoid trials and tribulations. You're a Christian, you're called to a life of suffering. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, somebody get excited, right? But the good news is, is that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He will walk with you through every part of this. You will never be alone. He is always there with you, he has given you Every promise is yes and amen. And if you get nothing out of this whole entire series, I just want you to not be afraid and I want you to just start living the life that Jesus has called you to. So let's get to our feet. And we're just going to pray. Father, I want to thank you, God for the people in this room and the people who are listening and the people who listen in weeks to come. God, to this message. God, I pray that even through this whole series, Lord, that they would be able to put the scary stuff to one side. They'll put the stuff that concerns them to one side. God, and that they would reassess where you are in their life. And God, we thank you, God, that you are at the center. Lord, that people would have an encounter with you, Father, and Lord, that people would have that that love reestablished. Lord, that first love, that passion that they had for you, that desire that they had, Lord, to see everybody saved and see all their friends come to know you, God. Lord, that that passion would invade them again. Lord, that that passion would begin to stir up and rise up within them. And Lord, we pray that every single person, Father, would have a stirring of their gifts, would have an anointing upon their gifts, would begin to see the signs and wonders is moving after they've spoken of your name. Lord, that they will be a bold and fearless church because this world desperately needs you, Father. And I thank you, God, that this is going to be a church that goes forth in your power and in your word. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Have a wonderful day. And I apologize again for the lectures type style of that. Um, but next week's going to be awesome.